Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. How about them Cowboys? Yeah. It's only one Oklahoma, and it was state, and it was state. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, we got a new intro. Forgot to mention that on our uh, Bedlam Recap Pod, but uh, thought I'd update it a little bit. We're a few years now past the We Got a Logo too, so we're we got the How About Them Cowboys and a little Ollie Gordon. There's only one Oklahoma, and it ends with State. I think I like the new update. And it is with State. And it is with State. <laughs> Ollie Gordon, my man. Did you see him dancing at the uh, – did you see him doing Mama Shark, Baby Shark at the women's basketball game last night? I did, and just all the kids are going nuts, and then there's Ollie by himself there on the end. Just, I mean, who's having a better year than Ollie Gordon? I mean, the guy is just everywhere. He, I thought that was incredible that he doesn't take himself too seriously and got in, got in on the action with the kiddos. That was great. Yeah, I love that too. Just some people I feel like um, – they worry about what other people think when, when other people are watching them. And some people just have fun and, and whatever. And Ollie's just one of those people. He just has fun. He's himself. You know, he's, he's pumping up the crowd last week. He's doing the, the baby shark at the basketball game. The kids are eating it up. Um, yeah, he's out on the field last Saturday looking for his mom. I read that story on pistols firing. He's just pretty awesome, man. He's, he's a great representation for Oklahoma state football. Yeah. A lot of like big time, you know, well-known college football players just they act a little too cool for school. They they take themselves a little too serious, and it's it's great that Ollie doesn't. And uh, his Heisman campaign rolls on this week in Central Florida. We'll get into all that, but I do want to get into just any lingering thoughts we had from Bedlam. I uh, tweeted out your your I call it a dissertation, and I mean that in the most complimentary way possible. I thought you broke down the Drake Stoops non-call and the pass interference beautifully because you added so much. One, you had the rule book ruling, which I don't think really anyone knew about how it was on the 18-yard line and you have to be on the 17 and in to get it on the two. I think everyone just assumed, oh, you would get on the two-yard line. But then you also dove into all the context that matters um, with, with how much time was on the clock, how many timeouts OSU you had. I just thought it was brilliant, and I wanted to put that out in the Twitter sphere, and we got a lot of good feedback from that. So well done. To, well, good job by you. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, I'm glad that you posted that because it was just a nice little snippet to kind of tease people and hopefully get them over to the pod. And some of the response, uh, I think, from the OSU side was was great and about what we expected. And people appreciated the pod we did earlier this week. And then some of the responses from the Oklahoma side were hilarious. Um, You know, I, I think I hope that the Oklahoma State fan base is not getting frustrated or angry with all these these OU fan takes on social media about the PI and about other bad bedlam calls in the past I, I quote tweeted the Abdul Adams video and it, it's just I, I'm just laughing at them they're they're reaching they're having a hard week I get it they lost the last bedlam they're not used to losing bedlam they're not used to little brother getting to pick on them and they know that little brother's going to get to pick on them for a long long time about this one so they're just having a tough go of it and I think we're all having a good chuckle at their expense. But, yeah, I'm glad you posted that and uh, appreciate all the response we got from the pod earlier this week. That was a fun one. Uh, some of them I listen back when I have time. Some of them I don't. I did listen back to that one. And, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. So uh, appreciate everybody for all the comments we got about our show on Monday. Yeah, and I do have a, a few more notes. I meant to reference that Oklahoma is the most penalized team in the Big 12. That certainly is what played out in that game against 
Oklahoma State, you know, they get so many procedure penalties. And that's what's interesting about OSU. They ran a ton of motion. But again, clean football, no procedure penalties. Uh, OSU was the cleaner, better football team on that day. And I do have another note. My dad referenced the 1983 Bedlam game. We had a Twitter uh, follower correct me. That was 1984, back when it was the highest rated Bedlam ever, I believe. It was number two versus number three in the country. Where And I, I tweeted back on Twitter if you want to see it that it's on YouTube in 1984 OU just <laughs> clearly interferes with our punt returner who's who already signaled for a fair catch no call fumble and another egregious no call Colby was from that there's so many missed calls in that 2013 game uh, I forgot to mention one of the most famous ones was on the fake field goal OU ran for a for a touchdown the play clock had expired for at least two seconds, maybe more, depending on how, how slow you count. Uh, that was another egregious missed call that I, I I should have put on my list. Yeah, it was a, it was an unreal delay of game, and I had forgotten about that one. Somebody sent the video, and I rewatched it, and I'm like, oh, my God, that was the clock was double zeros for so long, and they didn't call the delay of game there, uh, and Oklahoma scores on the fake field goal. But, uh, yeah, the one in 1984, the punt return, I mean, they were losing their minds on the broadcast of those old highlights that we watched because that was back whenever you had the halo rule. The halo rule is no longer around, but back then you had like a two-yard invisible circle around the return man that you had to abide by. And not only was the uh, gunner within two yards, made contact with the return man right before the ball got there. No flag comes out. OU's awarded the ball. The, the reality is in every football game, every week, calls are missed both ways um the the only ones that really decide games are like a central michigan for example when that truly is okay the game would have been over if they got it right the game was not over when they didn't get it right you complete a hail mary uh but yes a pass interference with five minutes left is not that um the the crying about the brent venables 15 yard penalty and looking at the video of mike gundy arguing about 12 men on the field in the first half and trying to compare those two things that is hilarious. Mike Gundy's four yards onto the field, having a conversation with the officials about a reviewable play that he was awarded a review for is so different than Brent Venables, you know, sprinting, jumping, landing a yard from the official 10 yards onto the field um, and, and berating him in the fourth quarter. Th those two things are so different. They're just, they're having a hard week, Carson. So um, yeah, I'm enjoying it though. I, I, I hope that they never stop tweeting about the officials. Yeah, it was really just uh, just a perfect way to end Bedlam. It really was. Um, I thought I Bill Hasten wrote a really thoughts. good call. I, I have some quick thoughts about the offense, too. What were you saying? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, just Saturday uh, in Bedlam, a couple things that I, I think we probably didn't dive deep enough in. You talked about Oklahoma State and the motion, and I, I just – we lauded Casey Dunn for some of the opening play calls and, and some of the things that he's done right, but I don't think we talked enough about everything that Oklahoma State has done pre-snap and just what a deviation it is from what we were seeing last season and, and in September of this year. I mean, Oklahoma State has just completely flipped the script from a team where all 11 guys just stand still and then get into the route. I mean, Carson, they've got five guys on, on plays throughout the game. They, they line Ollie up out in the slot that they've got Josiah Johnson back at running back. And then like four or five guys will shift. And then within two seconds, they snap the ball. Once everyone is set and the defenders are looking there and they're trying to figure it all out. You've got that. You've got men coming in motion. You've got, you know, Presley comes in motion, goes back the other way. Um, the, the pre-snap 
movement from Casey Dunn, I, I don't think that we gave enough attention on Monday because we were focused on so many other things. But it, it's a total deviation from what they were doing, and it is brilliant. It makes life harder on defenses to account for who's where, who's got who, um, and that's how you get guys into space. That's how you allow play action to work better when you bring Ollie back there, and then they're quickly wor- worried about who's blocking who, and can we get to Ollie, and then somebody's open in the middle of the field. It, it's just the pre-snap stuff from Casey Dunn on Saturday and really the last few weeks has been masterful. It really has, and it just makes it so much harder on the defense to decide where's this going? What are they run? Like it just, it's even if you're running your basic playbook, it just adds so much to the offense and adds so much confusion to a Oklahoma defense that had some injuries, had some young guys out there. And it's just, I don't think it's any coincidence that they're putting more guys in motion. They're having more offensive success. I think Casey Dunn now is averaging up more than 100 yards per game than they were in the non-conference. It's, it's night and day. And there's been so much discourse, you know, we got a lot of Twitter questions about, you know, the difference between Spencer Sanders and Alan Bowman. And I'm not here to I'm not here to dance on Spencer's, you know, bedlam grave here. I think Spencer, when he was healthy, this offense was humming. We've referenced it how they were top top five, top ten in the country when he was healthy. Um, but I did go back to Bedlam last year in Norman just to see like how different the offense looked on the opening drive. And to your point, they basically just come out and four wide and even five wide in some occasions the first three series and they just kind of stand there and snap the ball and it's very easy to defend when you just have no movement whatsoever and of course Spencer had a rough first half he threw it into coverage seemingly every time he he threw the ball but I'm not here to to downgrade or sorry be downgrade as Mike Gundy would say Spencer in favor of Alan Bowman I just think that Alan Bowman's being asked things to do that he's successful at and uh, I think the lack of motion was was stark when I went back and watched that game from last year. Yeah, I think any Spencer to Bowman comparison is very apples to oranges. They're two very different players playing in two very different offenses, right? I mean, Spencer was a big part of the run game, um, and he was an ultra-talented player that would also make the big mistake. Alan Bowman is a pocket passer with a running back carrying the ball 25 to 35 times a game. And he's working a lot out of the play action. He's not running much at all. And he's not making any mistakes, right? That's just, that's part of what's been coached into him and what's his DNA throw the ball away. They're two very different players playing in two very different offenses. Um, Spencer, I, I know people are excited about Saturday. 2021 was pretty special as well. And Spencer was, I mean, he put on a masterclass in that second half to bring Oklahoma state in that bet back in that game um, and to beat Notre Dame whenever the offense was really humming. So, um, yeah, two very different players, very difficult to compare. Uh, the other thing I wanted to get into, Carson, and, and I gave them a shout-out briefly at the end of Monday's show, but we got through so much of the show without talking about the offensive line. And I really think what you said a couple of weeks ago about bailing from the RPOs and just making things simple for the offensive line, like we're giving it to Ollie and you need to go push somebody over. Or – we're going to let Bowman drop back. You need to keep guys in front of you. I, I just think simplifying that has helped. Um, obviously, the way Ollie runs the ball has helped because that gives Bowman more time whenever they're so worried about that. I just think the way all the different puzzle pieces are fitting together now um, is so much different than what it was earlier in the year and even the last couple of years with the offensive line. And this system is clearly working better for the guys up front and they've they've done a great job so uh, I think your point about bailing on the RPOs and simplifying things up front has been has been well observed over the past few weeks too well and that's what's interesting about 
last week's bedlam is they kind of went back to a little bit more RPO than they had been running. And I think part of that is why they didn't run the ball as effectively, but I also think that truly helped them in the passing game as well. There's kind of some give and take there, but I think first and foremost, I want to give OU credit. I thought they, they really handled the run very well. Obviously they committed a lot of numbers to do so, but I do think they've reached a point now where they're comfortable doing both because they did that against, against Oklahoma. But I, but I do think ditching it is not ditching it, but running far less of it has certainly benefited the offensive line for sure. I thought they played outstanding. We didn't give them enough credit because they they've obviously kept Allen Bowman clean, and not all of that's just by running you know tight formations, you know big big personnel. A lot of that has to do with Bowman. His quick he gets rid of the ball quick. That's one of his best attributes. And really, the only time. He left the pocket. Were basically on rollouts. He wasn't like he was under duress really the entire game. And that you can't say enough good things about the offensive line. And I think Colby, you know, you and I have been so critical of Casey Dunn and Charlie Dickey, and really everyone has. The results have have spoke for themselves. But we're at the point now. I don't think there's any way you can make a change with Casey Dunn or even Charlie Dickey at this point. When when you're getting these results and you're competing for a Big Twelve championship, we'll see how the season plays out. But I don't think there's any reason to make staff changes if you're if you're playing offense this well. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's everyone has just salvaged everything over the last six weeks. And the offensive coaches are no exception. Um, they were great on Saturday. How many times, Carson, have we watched Bedlam and we've come away and, and we've just sat here and it's like, man, it's just so hard when you're getting dominated so badly up front and that was a big part of the game last year in Norman in that first quarter Oklahoma State just got annihilated up front and this year yes they held Ollie to uh, whatever it was four yards of carry but that wasn't because they were dominating Oklahoma State at the line of scrimmage that was because they were devoting a ton of numbers at the line of scrimmage to stop Ollie Gordon uh, the offensive line very much held its own against Oklahoma which is not something we've been able to say too much over the past decade and yeah, I mean, Charlie Dickey, Casey Dunn, those guys are doing a great job. And, and yeah, as much as everybody wanted them gone at the end of September, I think most rational people can sit here today and say, hey, they figured it out. Would we have liked to, them to have figured it out at the end of August instead of the end of September? Yes, but they figured it out, and they're doing a great job now. And if that's momentum that you can build on, and these guys are now kind of in a system where they feel comfortable and they feel like this will be something that they can continue to replicate going going forward, um, yeah, I think that those guys are sticking around and I don't think there'd be any reason at this point that Oklahoma State fans would have a problem with that. You want to know it's going to be a fun, interesting trivia question years from now? Hit me. Who threw the most touchdown passes in Bedlam wins? Brandon Whedon, Spencer Sanders, or Alan Bowman? Threw the most touchdown? Well, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't Alan Bowman because he threw zero. Um... Whedon also, I believe, threw zero in 2011. So I would get the Spencer. Spencer threw one in 2021. <laughs> wow. Three of the last, what is that? Three of the last four Bedlam wins. Uh, Oklahoma State's quarterback, I guess two of the last four Oklahoma State's quarterback didn't throw a touchdown. That's wild. Yeah, I guess Rudolph threw a couple back in 2014. But it's interesting that. You know, Whedon didn't, I think that was the only game all year, Whedon didn't throw a touchdown pass. They just destroyed them on the ground. And then Alan Bowman, you know, was likely the player of the game for Oklahoma State and didn't throw a touchdown. So it's kind of a interesting trivia question we'll have years from now. Yeah, that's um, a good one. There will, there will probably be a lot of good Bedlam trivia questions from these last, uh, what, 
10, 12, 15 years. Speaking of, do you have a, you know, we were kind of asked to rank our, our bedlam, our favorite bedlam wins. Uh, it's kind of a interesting scale on how to grade it. Like, do you grade the monumental upset or do you grade the ones that, you know, the teams were more even Which, how would you rank uh, bedlam wins? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going to go recency bias here. The one on Saturday, because of what was on the line. I mean, both teams were essentially playing for, I won't say their spot in the Big 12 championship game. Oklahoma State's only a two-and-a-half-point favorite Saturday against Central Florida, but they were both playing for their path to the, the Big 12 championship game. It's the last bedlam. Oklahoma's going to another conference, um, and a lot of that pressure was on Oklahoma State. You're the home team. This is your last chance, right? You know, if Oklahoma loses, their fans will sit here and go 91-20 and 20 or whatever they want to say, um, and they'll blame the refs, and they'll talk about how they got hosed and all this stuff. Oklahoma State was feeling the pressure at home to win that game and do it in that moment with all those legends in the stadium and you got it done. Um, and then you just, you get to listen to them cry about it forever. Uh, so that one's incredibly impactful. And then I would say 2021 as well, because I mean, this week has been fun in the aftermath, but the aftermath of 2021, just the way that game came down to the wire, the where's that sooner magic now? Um, Lincoln Riley leaving them cold in the middle of the night. We, we get to parade around for weeks talking about how we broke their program. Like those two are pretty, pretty special. Um, the Tyreek punt return was great. 2011 was a lot of fun. But I think these last two, I'd probably go 2023, 2021. I'd go 2011 because that was a Big 12 championship. It was at home. And then probably uh, 2014 with Tyreek Hill is how I would rank these most recent four before we started going back to the Les Miles era. Yeah, I think that's well said. I I probably go 2011 because it literally they lifted the trophy that night for a Big 12 championship, first one ever. Um, that that to me will always be number one for me. And it was at home, and you tore the goalpost down like they did last weekend. Uh, I think your list is pretty pretty close to mine. I I would love to because I was so impressionable at this age in 2001 and 2002, and gosh, it had been so long. And OU was so good. OU was Alabama back then. Uh, I want to rank those higher, but those were not the best OSU teams. They didn't have a ton to play for other than Bedlam. So I'd probably go 2011 and then probably these last two. It's probably how I'd rank it. Yeah, I think that that's fine. Um, I, I just, as much as I love beating them down, there's something about these last two that was so, um, I'll just say emotional about the close factor of it, about the fact that your defense was on the field and had to get the stops and being in the stadium for those last two, the noise, it, it just, um, yeah, 2011 was insane, but these last two just, just hit a little bit different for me with how close they were. And cause to me, that is, that is what makes a win truly special is whenever you have to sit there for three and a half, four hours and sweat it and deal with the excitement and the fear. Um, and, and like I said, that pit in your stomach, when Oklahoma takes that 21, 17 lead in the third quarter and then the elation of getting it done, that, that to me, is what sets these last two apart. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know what's great about this season? You know, it stinks that they played the way they did in September and lost to South Alabama. Do you know what's great about it, Colby, is I don't have to sit there and watch the playoff show. That's the <laughs> best part. <laughs> You're not wrong about that. I haven't watched any of them yet. I saw where Oklahoma State moved up to 2015. Uh, 2015. Moved up to number 15 in the, the CFP rankings. College football playoff is 100% out. 
Nobody gets in with two losses. Oklahoma State certainly doesn't get in with the two losses that they have. So you're playing for a Big 12 championship. Those rankings are completely irrelevant, and they just don't really matter in our lives at this moment. So I'm sure we'll talk about it going into the Big 12 title game. If Texas wins out and has a chance to get to the CFP, I'm sure we'll talk about Oklahoma State's chances to play spoiler there if that ends up being the matchup. But there's still quite a bit of work that needs done between now and then. Speaking of, OSU holds tiebreakers over Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma, and West Virginia. Um, what's the scenario in which they don't get in to the Big 12 title game for OSU? Is it, would it be like Iowa State winning out? Um, I would, uh, First of all, Oklahoma State would have to lose. I think if Oklahoma State wins out, because Iowa State now has two conference losses um, to Oklahoma. Yeah, I'm assuming, I'm, I'm stating if, they, if OSU were to lose, the tiebreakers would come in. If they went out, they're in with Texas. But I think... If as long as Iowa State doesn't win out, I think OSU's pretty much in, even if they lose to one game the rest of the way. Yeah, there's a good bit of scenarios where Oklahoma State can lose a game and still get in. I don't think Iowa State's uh, going to win out. Their schedule is tight. I think that they still have Kansas State and Texas on the schedule. I'd be really surprised if Iowa State won out. Um, it's not a guarantee that Oklahoma State wins out, but even if they do, they could lose a game and get to the Big 12 title game. And I don't know about you, Carson. Uh, some people have said, you know, ask me this week on Twitter, who would you rather face in the Big 12 championship game? I would rather, like, if I had my choice, I want to face Texas in the Big 12 championship game. I want that all to be on the line because the idea of sending OU and Texas packing to the SEC, the idea, because that that's about your brand, right, nationally, moving forward. If in Oklahoma and Texas's last season in the Big 12, you effectively end Oklahoma's chances at winning the conference championship, and then you beat Texas in the conference championship game. I think that is the absolute best-case scenario for your brand moving forward, and, and I almost feel like it's a no-lose situation against Texas uh, in the conference title game. Yes, they'll get to talk their trash if they win it, but if you lose that game nationally, nobody's going to you know rip Oklahoma State and you know choke job or anything like that. It'll be, yeah, Texas has all the guys, and they should have won that game. So I don't know about you, but I really hope it ends up being Oklahoma State and Texas because if you win that game, I think it does something big time for you and your brand nationally. Eh, give me Kansas. <laughs> I want to okay, win the game. Enough. I don't want. I don't care who we play. I just want to win the game. Fair enough. I don't. I. I think Oklahoma State could beat Texas. Oklahoma State has been right there with Texas over time. Um, I don't think Texas is some juggernaut by any means. O Oklahoma State would probably be a little undermanned at the line of scrimmage on both sides. Texas has some dudes, but Oklahoma State's been better in that area too. So I think it would be a really close game, and I think Oklahoma State would would definitely have a chance to beat Texas. I don't know if they do it but it would be a good one. Yeah, Texas is in conference play has only given up 114 points. OSU 158, Kansas 182, OU 150, K-State 117. So that kind of gives you some defensive metrics there that OSU would be going up against. But uh, OSU has scored more points than anyone other tie with K-State at 215 points for in conference play. So we'll have to wait and see. First things first, I think Mike Gundy said all the right things, Colby, after the Bedlam game. He's trying to turn the page. I think... This is a clear scenario of a letdown game. You don't want to end up like Oklahoma did. I mean, Oklahoma celebrated the Texas win like they won the Super Bowl, put out like that seven-and-a-half-minute video. OSU put out their six-ish-minute cinematic win video after Bedlam. So there's a lot to get to here with UCF. First and foremost, Colby's getting ready to play and getting over Bedlam. There's no bye week to, to kind of reset. Yeah, I, I mentioned earlier in the week that I thought this is the definition of a trap game, and I still – 
feel that way. I, I think Oklahoma State's going to beat them, but I'm not overly confident going in. I don't think UCF is by any means uh, a great team. They could be getting a receiver back this week. That's kind of like their Brennan Presley. He, he catches the ball. He takes it out of the backfield, um, and he's their return man. So he, you get him back. They've got a pretty good running back. Their quarterback actually has better stats throughout the season than Alan Bowman. I certainly wouldn't trust him any more than Alan Bowman. He missed a couple games with injury, and then he came back. I think he had a four-turnover game against West Virginia, so you can force him into some mistakes. But this is where I go back to, Carson, human beings play this game, not robots, and the amount of physical and emotional energy that was expended last Saturday in Stillwater, the amount of praise that is being thrown onto this team um, it is really hard to go down to Central Florida. You've got to summon your own energy. It's not like playing in Boone Pickens Stadium, and you've got to reboot, and you've got to bring all that energy again a week after what, what a lot of people are dubbing one of the biggest wins in program history. Just the, the physical and emotional energy Saturday in Boone Pickens Stadium, that took a lot out of Oklahoma State. That was a physical game in which Ollie Gordon carried the ball 33 times. I think Oklahoma State's going to beat Central Florida, but I, I can't sit here and tell you that I'm not a little concerned that Oklahoma State might get off to a slow start and that we might have to sweat this one because, um, look, it's two and a half point spread for a reason, and I think it's because following up that win and having enough energy to go down there and dominate UCF is just going to be tough. So uh, I like Oklahoma State's chances a lot in the final two games of the season. I think this week is kind of a survive and advance situation. Totally. And I think it's worth monitoring Ollie Gordon. I think he's dealing with a rib injury. Uh, obviously had some leg issues as well. He's coming off a career high in carries against Oklahoma. I'm curious to see how much Ollie we see in this game in terms of his normal workload. I, I certainly think I, – I don't know how you feel, Colby. Like I like Jaden Nixon, but I like him more as a change of pace, third down type back. I, I would not mind seeing Elijah Collins getting – a few more carries in this game. I've, I've liked what I've seen from him, but he's seemingly behind Nixon in the pecking order. But I think both of those guys are capable to run against this defense. Again, Central Florida, the fourth worst run defense in the country. I think this is a game where you could see more of a committee approach if, if Ollie's not 100%. Yeah, I think so too. Let's look here at Ollie's number of touches uh, since the bye week. So this is the last five games for Oklahoma State. He had 22 touches against Kansas State. He had 35 touches against Kansas. He had 29 touches against West Virginia. Uh, let's see here. 29 touches against Cincinnati. 34 touches against Oklahoma. That that stuff adds up, man. And I know he's got the energy. And I know every time we think that he's, he's looking just a little bit slower, then he'll break one. He'll make a cut. He'll get around somebody. And then he gets in the end zone and he strikes a Heisman pose. So I, I don't want to doubt Ollie's energy and his ability to just keep this going week after week. But that's five weeks in a row there where I, I didn't do the math off the top of my head, but it's probably in the in the range of about 150 touches over the last five weeks. Those hits add up. So I, I do think that we might see a little more Nixon and Collins this week and try to keep Ollie in that 20-touch range if you can. I, I think if you're um, – if they do go down there and they do get off to a great start and they are handling UCF, then I would love to see Ollie get, you know, 16, 18 touches in this game just, just for one week where he doesn't have to, to touch it 30 times and carry that big of a load. Um, but, yeah, there, there's a drop-off from Ollie Gordon to those other guys, and that's not an insult to the other guys. We're talking about the best back in the country here, a guy who if Oklahoma State wins out and he puts up big numbers is probably going to New York. 
So, yeah, I, I think that Oklahoma State will will need him to touch the ball 20 times again this week, but I hope it's not 30 because that stuff's going to start adding up. And with a Big 12 championship game, you've still got four games left, and I'd like him to have some some gas in the tank for Texas. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's a long year, and the carries are piling up. But uh, Ollie did gut it out against Oklahoma. I expect him to do so again against Central Florida. You know, Central Florida is a weird team, Colby. They've lost a bunch of games this year. They got significantly outgained by Cincinnati, which is very much unlike Central Florida. They usually get the better teams even when they lose, offensive yardage-wise with Gus Malzahn. He run, speaking of motion, he runs a ton of it. But um, they're kind of a weird, weird team this year. I'm not sure what to expect from them. It is their space game where they wear their weird space Florida Orlando uniforms. But um, it's going to be like their their marquee game of the year. So it's going to be, you know, a hostile environment. And, and that's one thing, too, that OSU's done such a good job of, Colby. We've mentioned Casey Dunn. During this win streak, they've scored on the touchdown on their first series, as we all know. I think that's something that Oklahoma State can't afford to get behind. This offense, the way they operate, that's what really that's where they really struggled in September. Once they got behind, they felt like they couldn't run the football. I don't think this offense is necessarily built to play from behind. So that that's some, that's one thing that concerns me as well going into this game. Yeah, we haven't really seen them need to since the Iowa State game, and that was really the first week where Bowman and Gordon took over and they were they were finding their identity. That identity's been found now, so I would be curious how they would handle that that adversity in that situation um, if they do come out flat on Saturday and they find themselves behind, you know, 14 to 3, 10 to nothing, something like that. But um, I, I almost wonder if... UCF, the space uniforms, the the crowd, I think it's going to be pretty good on Saturday. I almost wonder if that's better than if you went there and it was like a a half-empty stadium and you had to even more so create your own energy because that's what I'm worried about more than anything. I have no doubt that Oklahoma State is a better team than UCF. I just worry about the emotional letdown the week after Bedlam. Uh, UCF went 3-0 in the non-conference. They beat Kent State by 50. They beat Boise State by 2 on the road, and then they beat Villanova at home by 34. After that, they lost five straight to open Kansas, uh, to open conference play against K-State, Baylor, Kansas, OU, and West Virginia. Then they sneaked past Cincinnati a week ago. So they lost to all five teams that were previously in the Big 12. Their only win is against a fellow newcomer, um, Plumley, their quarterback, in five starts this year. He has not thrown for 300 yards a single time, but they do have a running back who has hit the 100-yard mark in four straight games. R.J. Harvey is his name. He's a pretty good player, quick, shifty. Um, so they've got some guys who can do some things, but – at the end of the day, I do think that the emotional letdown could happen for Oklahoma State, but I don't know that UCF is good enough to to totally take advantage of that. So I would expect maybe a flat first half from Oklahoma State and then a second half where they let UCF know that they're the better team. OSU certainly should should handle their their defense. They've given up in conference play 44, 36, 51, 31, 41, and 26 last week in Cincinnati. So it's a, it's definitely a defense they can score upon. And one thing I wanted to note, too, that I didn't bring up on the Bedlam podcast, Oklahoma State is having an historic season on fourth down defense. Of course, analytics are all the rage now. More and more teams are going forward on fourth downs. OSU has faced 18 fourth down attempts. They've allowed conversions on three of them for a .167 percentage. That's second in the country. The only team ahead of them, Western Michigan, has only faced eight to OSU's 18 fourth down attempts. So that that just shows you just they Colby they've been lights out on must have must get stop downs and distance and I think that's something you got to give credit to Brian Nardo he knows like that's 
just like we we praise offensive coordinators on two point conversion calls and fourth down calls that that work, having the right call on defense is just as challenging. And, and seemingly time after time after time, he's coming up with the best call and, and getting his team off the field. It's been it's been a remarkable year to that end. Yeah, and I want to give Coach Gundy credit here as well. He was talking with Robert Saturday after the game, um, just in in his little post game conversation he does with Robert, and he said, you know, how often do we practice that, Robert? You see, he said every day. Every day they practice fourth down defense. And and this goes back to conversations we've had about Mike Gundy understanding that um, 10 years ago, coaches won't, weren't going for it often enough on fourth down. And then it became the trendy thing to do. And now there's been an overcorrection, right? We've seen it. I mean, Texas Tech, Joey McGuire, he, he's doing dumb stuff a couple weeks ago. Maybe it was this past Saturday I saw him going for it on like fourth and three from his own 32-yard line. Or something. Just ridiculous nonsense. Um, and Mike Gundy knows that he can avoid some of those bad fourth down decisions and that they need to be ready when other teams are constantly going for it on fourth down. They practice, they devote time to it every single day in practice and that has showed up. So that's good coaching. Um, it, it's a good job by a defense where oftentimes you're going to have teams airing it out on these fourth and kind of two, three, four situations. You don't want to run it up the middle, the defensive backs who've been getting beat deep. You know what? They're not getting beat. They're not getting beat at the sticks on fourth down Dylan Smith, that, that break that he made uh, guarding the sticks on fourth down. That's been coached into these guys to know exactly where that first down line is and make sure that teams don't get it. So three for 18 is incredible. Like you said, Western Michigan has faced uh, 10 less attempts. I think Oklahoma state, we can say that they have the best fourth down defense in the country. And in an era where teams like to go for it on fourth down a lot, uh, that's big time. That's twice a game on average that Oklahoma state has faced a fourth down attempt and they've only given up three on the season. So yeah, that's big time from the coaching staff, having them prepared for those moments and then the players to execute in what are really impact plays in football games. All right, you ready for the Chris's University Spirit uniform preview? Yes, sir. Um, they are in UCF. What What do you think, Carson? I'll let you lead it off this week. Chris University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. <laughs> I, Colby, I can like read that in my sleep now i've done it so many times that's how much that's how long chris has been with us we appreciate them sponsoring the podcast as always hopefully all of y'all went over to chris's uh last weekend for bedlam i'm sure Stillwater was popping but if you want some of the latest bedlam attire bedlam t-shirts chris's is the place to be uh you got the well comma buy shirt that colby doesn't understand the reference from the movie tombstone be sure to stop over by chris's and pick up your latest greatest bedlam win uh t-shirts so colby without further ado what are you going with uh, yeah, I'm going to go. I, I think I'm going to go with white shirts. Call me crazy. Um, well, you have to, what, what color number uh, be, be, beyond that? I don't know. This feels weird. They're doing their space stuff. Uh, I think they're going to get goofy and I think Oklahoma state might just go simple as, as they go with their, their space outfits. So I'm going to go just white helmets, um, probably brand on the side, white shirts, and then orange pants, white, white, orange, uh, to offset their their craziness and their space stuff that they're going to do. Oklahoma State keeps it simple, and uh, I think they'll look good in, in a white-white-orange combo. Yeah, I think, you know, they go mostly black with those. I haven't seen the exact uniforms Central Florida is winning or wearing this year, but typically all black's what they wear. So I wanted to go black-white-black, but with that in mind, I think they go – Maybe it's just fresh in my mind from watching last year's Bedlam. Uh, hopefully not the same results, but I'll go orange, white, orange with the cursive Cowboys on the helmet. Kind of a orange prominent look. Orange, white, orange is what I'm going to go with, but uh, not 
not really nothing really sticks out to me this week but it could be i think they were wide wide orange at arizona state but they could certainly go with a different style helmet like you were referencing so that's what carson, i'll go with carson i need to inject some context in here because i had not i assumed based on past uniform combinations from ucf that these were going to be black i gave it a quick google ucf is not wearing black on saturday they are wearing white helmets and the jerseys and pants are like sky blue like a very light blue so is is this one of those weird games where the road team is going to be allowed to wear home jerseys so that we don't have light on light or is oklahoma state just going to wear the white shirts and then maybe go um dark helmet and pants or something like that i'm i'm very confused now that i've seen that ucf has the white helmets and then a very light baby kind of sky blue shirts and pants that's interesting i assume they'll still make them wear white but this is certainly i'm looking at them now this is certainly a case you could make for a color versus color game, which I don't think OSU's done since, God, the old days. Um, I would like to see him wear a orange for more stark contrast than the white. So maybe, uh, I don't know. This is this is going to be one of the trickier uniform picks we've ever seen. I've never seen I, this I, before. I, I want to change mine. Do you want to change yours? Because I want to change. Go for it, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm confused. This is throwing me off. I just, I'm imagining a world in which Oklahoma State goes out there wearing white shirts um, and these things are a little bit too close together. I, I think they might still make them wear white, but I want to switch to black helmets and black pants now because I think we need some sort of sharper contrast between Oklahoma State and UCF so that they don't look too similar. So I'm going to go black helmets with the brand, white shirts, uh, black pants. I, we need more of a contrast. It can't be light on light. Oh, so I can go with my original pick. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to copy. I'm going to go black, white, black with the brand on the helmet, the old the old-fashioned matte black everywhere, face mask included. So... You're you're saying this could be a a, a Mighty Ducks two situation where they they change uniforms at a halftime or even before <laughs> the game like that. Yes, I, I'm not opposed to what you said though uh, about just going color versus color. If if Oklahoma State were allowed to wear orange this week on the road, I think that that would be a nice color contrast with their baby blues against our uh, America's brightest oranges. Well, now that you mentioned, I'm sure Justin Williams, the equipment manager, is you know they, they know what they're wearing, which is which is helpful. They know that going into it, they're not going to be surprised. I wonder if he's already petitioned whoever that would be to do so. That'll be uh, that'll make the uniform selection even more interesting on Saturday. I love it. Yeah, I'm very intrigued now to turn the TV on at two thirty, or well, hop on Twitter an hour earlier and see what they're wearing. All right, it's time for the toast of the week, brought to you by Yingling Brewing Company. Uh, we forgot to pour one out. You gave out so many beers last week, Cole. We forgot to pour out a Yingling for a negative uh, plaudit. But uh, Yingling is America's oldest brewery. Be sure to check out your local uh, establishments. You can get on their website, see which ones, which locations nearest you sell Yingling. It's great stuff. I've raved about the flight. I'm still hitting up the traditional lager, but the the Golden Pilsner also a household favorite at uh, House Cunningham as well. So Yingling's been great sponsor to us they've uh, certainly made saturdays more fun and uh, we appreciate them sponsoring the podcast and the toast of the week brought to you by yingling america's oldest brewery so colby without further ado who's your toast of the week i'm gonna give the toast of the week to the oklahoma state fan base um the oklahoma state fan base i think has grown to a level where again i talked about it last week the in-stadium stuff being a smart fan base but even the stuff, the interactions that I've seen on social media, the support for the team, I just think that this fan base, um, it, it very much feels 
like we're all just part of this small town. Like everybody knows everybody. Everybody loves everybody. We, we don't care about anything else going on except for Oklahoma State football. It, it's such a communal fan base. And I've tried to think throughout this week about the differences between the Oklahoma State fan base and the Oklahoma fan base. Because everybody always likes to throw out, well, we all went to the school and you all didn't. And I, I don't think it's that simple, right? Like my mom did not go to Oklahoma State. My dad did. My mom didn't go to Oklahoma State. My mom is as loyal and true as anyone I've ever known in my life. She's missed maybe two home games in the last 25 years. Uh, and she drives up to Ames whenever the team's terrible to go sit in bad weather and watch them lose to Iowa State in <laughs> September. I, I don't think it's that simple. I think, Carson, and and maybe I'm just – this is just my my brain working overtime, but this fan base has forever been bonded by the fact that it has been painful to be an Oklahoma State fan over the course of time. There has been a lot of heartbreak involved in this, and yet we all keep showing up. We all keep loving our university, and I, I think that that type of fandom and that type of communal fandom is so much different than everyone just piling onto a winner down in Norman for the past 70 years. I, I just think that the way Oklahoma State fans have been bonded by the heartbreak over the years is different than, than 90,000 people showing up to Gaylord and expecting to win every week and being pissed when they don't. I, I just, I, I don't know. I've, I've just thought a lot about the differences between what it feels like to be an Oklahoma State fan uh, and to interact with and, and to be around other Oklahoma State fans and how that differs from Oklahoma. And I don't think it's as simple as we went to the school and you didn't. Uh, I think it's that we have experienced uh, so much more and we appreciate success a lot more and we don't take success for granted quite as much because we haven't had as much of it and we've had to stick together in the tough times. So um, maybe that's my brain working overtime, but I've just – I'm very proud to be a part of the Oklahoma State fan base over this past week, just as I have been for a very long time. Yeah, I thought to that point, I'm going to give a toast to the tailgating scene in Stillwater. Bill Haston wrote a really good column, uh, quote, as OU strives for a better tailgate, OSU is a perfect role model, both in scope and in spirit. OSU is one of the most impressive tailgate cultures in college football. And I, I've said this many times. I've been fortunate enough in my career to go to all like a ton of the top campuses around the country, Ohio State, Tennessee, Georgia, uh, you name it. I've, I've been to a lot of big time college football environments and I would rank OSU's tailgate up there with any of them. That includes the Georgias of the world. Uh, what they've built there, what the atmosphere that's become is, is second to none. And OU is kind of scrambling to get their act together and they're trying to redo a lot of their parameters to make their tailgating better because it flat out stinks like it's it's been a problem there and they're they're going to get embarrassed if they don't fix a lot of their issues around uh, campus and i think a lot of it has to do with what you've said it's just more of a tight-knit community perhaps at osu i don't know what the reasons are i'm not there every saturday in norman obviously but osu is a second to none and i think the fans have played a huge part in that uh bill Haston shouts out terry don phillips it's one of the old athletic director from oklahoma state who i maintain is one of the most underappreciated important figures in OSU athletics history. He had the foresight to know that we need to make this better around campus, around the stadium before game days. He kind of got that started, did a lot of great things for Oklahoma State, and Bill Bill shouts him out. I think that's important to note, too. Terry Don Phillips uh, deserves ring of honor. I know it's reserved for players, but he he deserves something there on campus to recognize his efforts to, to bring Oklahoma State's athletic department, which was in the doldrums for many, many years, 
uh, bringing them into the 21st century. And I think a lot of the groundwork he laid was was pivotal in that. And I really enjoyed Bill's column about just what a great atmosphere Oklahoma State's become because it's it's second to none. I, I've been there. I've seen it. I've been everywhere uh, around the country. And OSU's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's good on bad weather days when Cincinnati's in town. And last Saturday when Oklahoma was in town, we got there an hour and a half, two hours before kick. We were hanging out on the north side of the stadium over there. They had a band playing on the turf. There's kids throwing footballs over your head from every different direction. Uh, there's people standing around just, you know, drinking some beer, having a good time. And it's it's sprawled so far throughout campus, the tailgating scene. Um, it's pretty impressive, and it's a lot of fun to be a part of. But you get nice weather and a big game, and everybody shows up. So, yeah, the Oklahoma State fan base, um, it, it's special. It's special to be a part of. Uh, I'm going to pour one out to Boo Corrigan, the college football playoff committee chair, who said – let me, I'm listening to it now. Yep. No, I know exactly what you're going to say. A top 20, he shouts out Ohio State's resume against a top 20 defense in Rutgers. Well, well, yeah. It's not hard to have a top 20 defense when you're playing those offenses every week. You kidding me? I mean, I think Iowa's win, uh, point totals down to like 29 this week. Like, there have been so many stats of how bad the Big Ten West offenses are. I can't even keep up with them all. People just send them to me and I just devour them. I love them, keep sending them. But it's almost become too much fodder. I almost have too many stats to prove my point. Yeah, the Big Ten West is incredible. The Big Ten in general, the Rutgers comment um, from the the playoff, was the playoff chair who said that, right? Yes, Boo Corrigan. Boo, hit, boo this man. Yeah, you know what that is? That is, um, what's it called? Whenever you already have a conclusion and then you have to find reasons to rationalize it. Like they've already decided they want to prop up the, these Big Ten teams and they want to justify their reasoning and then they just find reasons to do it. So they go find one metric where Rutgers is a top 20 defense and then this guy says that out loud on TV and everybody nationwide laughs at him because we all know what Rutgers football uh, is and has been for the majority of its existence. That is uh, that is a good one. I'm going to pour one out, Carson. I, I think I actually uh, might have thrown this in at the end of, of Monday's show, but I can't remember if I said that on air or off air. I'll, I'll pour one out for the OU fans because as good of a week as it's been for us, they're having a they're having a hard time. They're having a really hard time. Um, a lot of them are making fools out of themselves. There was a guy on Twitter. I, I posted the Abdul Adams clip for 2017, and I'm like, this is an egregious overturn, one of the worst in the history replay. He, he bobbles catches transfers from his left from his right hand to his left hand hand takes a step and then drops the ball again and i know you fan sent Took back seven a, steps seven I, steps i know you, I know you fan sent back uh, a field level video and said here's the angle that proves it was an incomplete pass and it's an angle that clearly shows him control the ball in his right hand and then transfer it to his left hand and take a step and they're they're just having a hard week rationalizing all this um but I, I put in the tweet about the abdul adams play guess what else happened this day more football was played and oh you won the game yeah it was a bad call more football was played no you won the game yeah they got the pi wrong in the end zone saturday uh more football was played and osu won the game so um yeah and, and then what, what's the old mark twain quote carson i didn't even reply to this guy because uh i think it was never argue with a fool onlookers may not be able to tell the difference so i just had a good chuckle in my head and kept on scrolling <laughs> yeah someone reminded me on twitter that you know when that happened i think kyle porter broke it down like the zapruder film and abdul adams took literally he counted them seven steps with the ball it, tell me that's not possession <laughs> tell me yeah, that's and, not and a fumble was, 
And he was bobbling it probably for the first half of those, but then he he 100% controlled it in his right hand, moved it to his left hand, took another step, and then fumbled. It's just also <laughs> the, the reason that they come out and they say the call stands so many times is because replay is designed so that if 100 people watch a replay and all 100 think the call on the field was wrong, you overturn it. Otherwise, they just come out and they go, the call stands. Um, and, and yeah, anyway, we could, we could talk about all these things for another hour, but I think we've got some predictions to make Carson. I always make my score prediction first. You go first this week and I'll, I'll, I'll bounce off you. Okay. Well, if, if Oklahoma state has truly transformed their season, which I believe they have and Ollie Gordon plays in this game, I don't think it's close. I think OSU wins by two touchdowns at least. Um, I, I just think UCF, they're one and five in Big 12 play. This is a big step up for them, and it's been proven. Uh, they they played OU solid in Norman, but I think OU could very easily have lost three straight games. Um, credit OU to OU for winning that game. But Central Florida ran a absolutely ridiculous, very similar to the Ollie Gordon throwback play in terms of how successful it was on their two-point conversion uh, to tie the game against OU. So I, I just think UCF's overmatched in this game. I think as long as Oklahoma State comes out, gets a, gets a lead early, I think they cruise. I'm going to go – and this defense is not very good. I think this might be their highest point total of the year. I'm going to go OSU 45. I'm going to go UCF 21. 45-21 Oklahoma State. I think that's that's kind of the ballpark I was thinking. So I, I think it's a a big win and I think it's a, I think it's also a statement win cuz I think there's a lot of people that don't don't believe in Oklahoma State that they're really this good. Uh I think this is a case where I think nationally people will start taking more note of how well OSU's playing and certainly Ollie Gordon's name will continue to rise up the Heisman Heisman race if he's uh if he's anywhere close to healthy. So I think OSU wins pretty comfortably. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a large spread there. I'm I'm not so sure that Oklahoma State's going to win that big. I think UCF is a little bit better than their record would indicate. Uh, September 30th at home against Baylor, we remember they had the massive lead, and then it just all went wrong late in that game, and and that was kind of a, a fluky lead to blow. They nearly beat Oklahoma three weeks ago in Norman. Uh, the West Virginia game that they lost 41 to 28 two weeks ago at home. Again, I think their quarterback had a four turnover day that day, so I think that they are a little bit better than their record would indicate. I do not think that they are at the level of Oklahoma State. I, I think that we're going to have to sweat this one for a little bit, but I do think Oklahoma State pulls away in the second half. I think that's when Ollie probably takes over a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised to see him have, you know, 60 yards rushing in the first half and then 120 in the second half, something like that. So I think Oklahoma State's going to win this game, not by quite as much as you, but I do think they cover. They've covered every week since the bye. Um, Vegas has just simply not caught up on Oklahoma State, and I understand why this line is what it is because this absolutely could set up for an emotional letdown for Oklahoma State, but I just think they're too much better for UCF for that to last all four quarters. Um, I think Oklahoma State wins this game 38 to 27 to just keep it rolling and then get into those last two where I really like their chances. Yep, I do too. Anything else? Uh, let's say this. I don't love what happened against Abilene Christian, but I'm not ready to overreact yet. And I'm still way too happy about what happened in Bedlam. Four-star recruit committed, uh, pardon me, signed with Mike Boynton yesterday. So, uh, not great what happened against Abilene Christian, but I want to have a little bit of patience and see, um, what the first probably 10 game sample size looks like for Oklahoma state basketball before I totally overreact 
and start calling for for jobs. I'm I'm certainly not ready to do that. Uh, I got a couple tweets this week about basketball, but I'm not ready to get outraged about basketball just yet. I'm not either. And one last note, Texas, their second, I guess Quinn Ewers is going to play this weekend at TCU. I don't know if that's because he's healthy. Uh, Sark says he is, but they might have to do with uh, how poor the quarterback play has been uh, since he's been out. But I wanted to make note, their second to last game of the year, seven o'clock kick in Ames, Iowa. We've, we've seen how that plays out. So I, I don't, I don't necessarily think we can just lock it in stone. That's going to be OSU in Texas. That would, that would concern me if I was a Longhorn. Uh, surprising things happen every November in college football. Nothing in November in college football is a given. So yeah, we'll keep a close eye on all of that. Carson, good stuff as always. Thank you everyone for listening Two thirty kick on Saturday. We'll be back with the recap over the weekend. Hopefully it's another one for Oklahoma state and they keep it rolling. Thanks everyone for listening as always go pokes.